If it's too small for you, you just give it to one of your children. Little Refuge Church hats with our new logo on it. I'm sure we'll have leftovers and, well, we, we can get you one in the foyer on your way out. If you don't get one here, if you're... Look at that. You guys are looking good. Feel free to put it on. It looks good. <laughs> so that's to our dads. We appreciate, we appreciate fathers that invest in their children. And I want to speak this morning before, or this afternoon, still, still not used to that. I still call those pews too, but... 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. 2 Peter 2, 6 to 8, it says, In turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing, hearing, Seeing and hearing, vexed, second time vexed is used. Notice that it was used in the previous verse and then used here. His righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. This afternoon, just want to talk for a little bit before we head out on what's on the pedestal in your home. What's on the pedestal in your home? Right now on our pedestal, we have two jars of marbles that I'll talk about a, bit, a little bit later, but... Anybody have a guess how many marbles? That was always a fun game. How many marbles are in here? How much? 15, 791? 699? No other guesses? I haven't even heard the right hundreds number yet. I, I literally haven't even heard the number yet. Well, you'll have to wait and see. If I get too boring, at least now I'm going to keep you to the end to hear the number of marbles. Well, what do we know about Sodom and Gomorrah? This passage is talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's in Genesis 13, 13, sheds a little light on Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, but the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Like... <laughs> You just write in this adjective like you're just writing and all of a sudden, oh, by the way, they were exceedingly bad. How do you get exceedingly bad? Like you're bad and then, and what, what, do you ever look at your kids and be like, hey, yesterday you were bad. Today you are exceedingly bad. <laughs> Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, Amos, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, all all warn Israel about becoming like Sodom and Gomorrah. All these prophets, all warn Israel, don't become like Sodom and Gomorrah. They were the epitome of evil. The epitome of evil. When you read, Scripture tells us a little bit about their city. There was violence everywhere continually. Genesis 19 tells us about homosexuality, that the men of the city surrounded the house and actually were trying to break down the door to rape the angels of God. 
one of the worst things about the various sins of Sodom was the attitude behind the sin. Isaiah 3.9 says, The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom. They hide it not. Saying these people, he wasn't even talking Isaiah, but he compares them to Sodom. He says, these, it, this is what's happening with these people, and they've gotten so bad that they're like Sodom, let me tell you, because they're not even hiding their sin. There's one thing to have sin, and then another thing to just, he says, woe to their soul, they've rewarded evil unto themselves. They had an openness about their sin. They had a, I don't even care what you think about my sin. I'm prideful about my sin. I'll openly display my sin. That, boy, does that sound familiar. The church's been called to be a light to the world, and we're to use the Bible to shape the world around us. Instead, sometimes the Bible's not shaping our world. The world is shaping our view of Scripture. Notice the difference of what I said, because what we need to ask ourselves is, does the Bible, we know that the Bible does not necessarily shape global society or national society, but does the Bible still shape your world? Or does the world shape what you embrace from Scripture? Because if we're not careful, we can start to allow society in which we live to put so much pressure on us that we try to mold and shape the Bible to try to make it fit where we're currently living in society. And I think Lot did a little bit of that. And this approach can sneak into our homes because we start trying to make the Bible fit culture. Do you know... The Bible warns against the day when wickedness is exalted. In the Old Testament, the prophet Zechariah had a vision of a, what he deemed a, a flying scroll. It was 30 foot long and 15 feet wide. And God tells Zechariah that this large scroll contains a curse over his people. Why would he curse his own people? Well, read on later in this passage, Zechariah 5 and 5. It says, the angel who was talking with me, Zechariah says, came forward and said, look, see what's coming. What is it, I asked. He replied, it's a basket for measuring grain, and it's filled with the sins of everyone throughout the land. Imagine that basket. And then a heavy lead cover was lifted off the basket, and there was a woman sitting inside of it. The angel said, the woman's name is wickedness. And he pushed her back into the basket and closed the heavy lid again. Then I looked up and saw two women flying toward us, gliding in the wind. And they had wings like a stork, and they picked up the basket and flew into the sky. Where are they taking the basket? I asked the angel. And he replied, to the land of Babylonia, where they will build a temple for the basket. Who do you build temples for? God. But wickedness had gotten to the place in that society that it was actually elevated so much that we're actually going to build a temple for wickedness. And he says, and when the temple's ready, they will set the basket on its pedestal. Man, I can, there's, there's some temples of wickedness, I think, in society today. Things that exist 
And they exist only to stand in complete, contrary opposition to the word of God and the principles of God. Which, there's always been sin in every society. The problem is not that there's ever sin in a society. The problem is when the believers start to go to the temples that exalt wickedness and say, or I'm going to bring it into my home. I'm going to bring that into my home and put it on the pedestal of my own house. See, God's talking about this, and, and, he's, and he's telling them all about the wickedness that is being exalted. And so my question today is, what is on the pedestal in your home? What are the things that are being elevated in your home, the places you go, the messages that we send our children that uh, that's okay, that's something I adhere to. Maybe they bring something home that they heard from school or from a friend. And I believe that we should always love every single person and be kind to every single person, no matter what they believe, no matter what lifestyle they live. But in loving something, this is where the world's gotten a little bit mixed up, is that they feel like you, can, you have to either choose to love someone and accept and, and, and embrace everything that they stand for, or you hate them and you want nothing good for them. And I say, no, don't try to put me in one box or another, because recently there was a picture for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and it is Pride Month, and he is a Christian, and he said, I don't feel comfortable wearing a sign that embraces homosexuality. He clearly stated, I, do, I, I, I am accepting whatever they want to do. I love people. I'm not saying anything bad. I'm not, saying any, I'm not wishing any ill will on them. But I don't feel comfortable putting this on my uniform as something I stand for because I'm a Christian. And, so, and it was very respectful. And, and the, the backlash to this man is unbelievable. And I feel like we as Christians should be able to say, oh, no, I love people. It does not matter. I hope, and I'm not talking about just, just homosexuality. I'm talking about any sin. If you can sit in this church for the next several years and never feel an ounce of conviction over any sin that you partake in, I should probably leave and stop preaching the gospel. Because, now are you saying church should be a place where we just always feel terrible and convicted? No. But if I'm sitting in the church and hearing the word of God, no matter where you are, I, uh, occasionally there's, there's sin in my life that I say, you know, God, I got to find, God, forgive me of this pride. God, oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. Lord, I need to examine my heart. I don't want this to grow and, and, and become a wall between me and you. That if we ever get to the point where we can hear the preached word of God week in and week out and week in and week out and week in and week out, and we are are never convicted of anything in our lives. Then I'm not preaching scripture. Because scripture itself says it's given. And there's going to be times where it's going to be correction. There's times it's going to be inspiration. There's times it's going to be teaching. There's times it's going to calm and, and be a soothing word to our souls. But there's times where the word is going to say find an altar and repent. And so, this is, but yet everything that I preach, here's the key, I better preach it in love. And that's what we aim to do. But the society in which we live in is if you disagree, if you say anything I'm doing is not right, then you don't love me. 
And I was raised where my dad loved me a lot. But he told me a lot of things I wasn't doing right. And I'm thankful to God for my dad. Lot shows. He said, I could go this way or this way. Abraham said, you go wherever you want. And he looked at the lights and he looked at the city. He said, that's where I'm going to raise my family. And he went over to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we read about this wicked place with all of this sin. And he pitched his tent and went and said, I'm going to raise my family right here. And he could have went anywhere. And he went right there. And the sin surrounded him. And instead of saying, I have got to get my family out of here. At the very least, I've got to sit down. And the Bible needs to record how I stood for God, how I walked into the city. Because guess what? If we as believers, if all we ever do is run from sin, the world won't be changed. We need people who will stand in the midst of sin and say, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to, you know, (laughs) I'll tell you. My family, we homeschool our children, and that's what we choose to do. But I'm thankful that there are spirit-filled believers walking into schools and saying, I'm going to have a P7 club. I'm going to start a Bible study. I'm going to start a prayer meeting and, and making an influence. And so that, that I'm, I, we have to be intentional as parents about having conversations with our kids where they can bring us the stuff that they're being told or taught or, or a conversation they had with a friend. There has to be that open line of communication. Sometimes how often do they want to tell us something, though, and we're busy. We've got to make sure that when they bring it to us that we stop, we say, go ahead, talk to me. And it's tough because sometimes the things that they're going to say We're going to be like, this is important right now, really? But if we don't listen to the things that are, in our mind, unimportant, they're not going to bring us the things that are important. You see? And so Lot should have looked at his children and said, I got to get my kids out of here. But instead, you look and it says he was vexed the first time. Then in the second verse, again, it says he was vexed a second time. And from day to day, it tells us. The first time, I'll tell you, the first time vexed is used, it means to wear down or be oppressed. If you could go back to 2 Peter 2, 7. That first time, that word vexed is to be wore down or oppressed. The second time, verse 8, vexed is used. It's a completely different word. The New Testament is written in Greek, and it was translated into English here in this, in this version. And the Greek word for vexed, even though English says vexed in verse 7, vexed in verse 8. The Greek word in verse 7 and the Greek word in verse 8 are two totally different words. The word in verse 7 means to oppress or to wear down. The, the word, the second word in verse 8 means to torture, batter, in pain, or be tormented. What's being said here? is that Lot was wore down and got to the point where he was tormented and beat down because he was dwelling constantly as a man who knew better, a man of God, who walked with Abraham. See, the difference is Scripture tells us Abraham walked with God. Scripture tells us Lot walked with a man who walked with God. And that's a huge difference. And that's where you have to ask yourself, 
Do I walk with God or do I walk with a person who walks with God? It's a big difference. And you look at the specific wording that that righteous man dwelling among them vexed his righteous soul. This is, this is really attributing this to Lot. The Lot was the one who tortured, tormented, battered, and caused pain to his own soul. The responsibility was on Lot because when he, when he, he's the one that led his family into that place. He's the one who kept his family in that place. He's the one who did not stand up. When you read the story about the men surrounding the city, it's one of the weakest signs of fatherhood I have ever read or thought of in my wildest dreams. He literally comes to the door and starts to plead with and beg with the homosexual men in the city to take his daughter instead of of the men uh, that are with him and the, and the angels of God. If that happened, I would be dead in the street or they would be. Now, I know some of you say, my Lord, that does not. You attack my house and try to come at me and the people in my family? I'm going to call on Jesus first. <laughs> and then I'm going to use any tools necessary to protect my family. And so, for me, I read this, and I go, what in the world? They, they surrounded his house, and he's like, guys, come on, please, let's hear me out here. I want You can't negotiate with sin, but yet we live in a day and age right now where society is saying it's even moved beyond that. It's not even negotiating with sin. You can't even stand against sin in this day and age. And the Bible says that when the Lord comes back, it's going to be like it was in the days of Lot. We are living in a time where God is getting ready. And you can sit there and say, oh, whatever, whatever. I'm telling you, God had you here. Even if you're a first-time guest, maybe you're tuning in online. God had you here today to put a burden of responsibility on you. And that is to do something about what you are hearing. And God is coming back soon for his church. And so, I believe that although there are great things, mothers and fathers, we celebrate both. And I believe that God has called a man to be the priest of his home. That he has called a man to stand up and to say, this home, Joshua says, as for me and my house, this is what we are going to do. That a man needs to stand up and say, now if you live in a house and there's no man, I'm not saying, oh, you're doomed. There's no man in your house. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is God has called fathers to be leaders. God has called men to stand up and say, I am going to hear from God. There's a reason why there is a, 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 a just a an underlying desire in a man to be a protector. I'm telling you, I, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but nothing gets me frustrated and aggravated faster than one of my children or my wife, somebody hurts themselves. And I, and I know that sounds crazy, but for me, this is nuts. You know, if, you, if you're in such a psychology, come see me, help me out, okay? I need to talk to someone. But for me, it is, I feel like when someone is injured or hurts themselves, I failed in my role as a protector. 
And I know that's crazy. I know that's preposterous. I can't be everywhere at all times. But there's something in me that wants to protect my children and protect my home. And I know I will not be able to protect them from everything. But I know that in my role as a dad, part of what becomes being an effective protector is not the fact that I'm going to be there protecting them. I'm not going to stand outside my, my daughter's door when she gets married and says, um, I'm here to protect you. I'm going to be here all night. If you need anything, let me know. No, it's going to be, <laughs> I mean, if you need me to, I can. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it, is, it is me equipping my children. To know how to protect themselves, how to stand in this world, how to grow deep roots. The responsibility was on Lot. The one, see, the ones with unlawful deeds and filthy conversation that our passage talks about, guess what? You can choose any society in the entire world in the history of humankind. I don't care if you believe it's 6,000 years old or 6 billion years old. You can choose any society in the history of humankind. And you will find that there is unlawful deeds and filthy conversation. That never changes. I don't care where you pick, it's always the same. That will always be there. But the people who serve God that are living in that culture have always been called to stand against. Not meaning, I can't have friends, I can't know. God has called us to reach the culture in which we live, wherever that is. But that's where the believer must find how to love people but still stand for what his principles say in Scripture. And so Lot, he allowed his home to be built around this type of sin and perversion. And he was the one who was torturing his own soul because he lived in it. And you never one time ever, ever read about in Scripture him speaking to his children speaking to his wife, trying to reach a minister in that city. Instead of him reaching the city, the city reached him. And you and I are living in a day and age where you're either going to reach your city or the city's going to reach you. And you can sit here and you can come to church here and we welcome you and we love you and I, I pray that you always come here and you... but. You can sit in one message after another, and if there's never a call to do anything, embrace change, to grow that conviction, if we never allow our heart to feel that, you may have already reached the place where the city's impacting you instead of you impacting the city. Lot was tormented day and night forever because of where he lived, but he never moved. He never did anything about it. He just stood there and lived with it and put up with it. And he said, well, it's just the way culture and society are here where I live. If all we ever do is just say, it's just the way culture and society is here in Liberty. Lord, help us. We don't need a church here then. He let culture and society influence his family. And eventually, he lost his wife. And his own daughters got him drunk and slept with him. Why? Because of a filthy spirit was able to get into his home. And those girls were just little girls. A filthy spirit 
was able to get in his home when they were little girls because a dad wasn't strong enough to stand up and say, guys, this is wrong. If we're going to continue to live here, this is what our family's going to do. This is what our family's going to look like. Be careful. I won't stay on this long because I know we have different age groups, and, but be careful of sexual spirits that are in culture right now. Oh, we, we're careful what we watch. It's on every commercial. It's on every show. It's in every movie. There is an agenda, and you better be careful because you might say, well, as an adult, no, we're fine. Oh, I covered my child's eyes. Yeah, after that, all they need to see is one image. Be careful of the spirits that you're exposing your children to. Not let his girls be influenced, but he never did anything about it. What's on the pedestal in your home? What is being welcomed in? What is being embraced? What is being elevated? Sin can initially make us uncomfortable, but if we continue in sin, it will wear on us daily. And if we keep living in it, then we can read about Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, we must leave a place of sin and step into a greater place of promise. And sometimes that demands us making changes for our family. And I know that there's churches all across America today. Father, we're just like, whoa, dads, we're making jokes. We're keeping it lighthearted. And we're getting out of here to hit the barbecue. But I know that for some dads, this might be one of the only chances I get to challenge you mano y mano. And to say, God's called you. And he's called you, man of God, to do hard things. To not just sit around and play video games. God's called you to be a man. God's called you to lead a family. God's called you to be a covering of protection over your family. And sometimes that's not a popular message. And maybe you might not even be popular at times with your children. I guarantee you there's times where I have to say, we're not doing this. And my kids are not like, you know, Dad, I, I'm really grateful to have a strong father like you. <laughs> I can tell you stories, specific stories about times where I was not grateful to have a strong father like my dad. But here I am, 41 years old, my dad's dead and gone. And all I got is this tie. But I have a life of lessons they were instilled in me at a young age that I'm now passing on to my children. One man said this. He says, it's easier to build strong children than it is to repair broken men. Dr. Dobson said this, the greatest delusion is to suppose that our children will be devout Christians simply because their parents have been. what's on the pedestal of your home. Parents, please listen to me as I try to wrap up this a little bit tonight. The greatest thing that you may ever do is in society is not something you do. 
but it's someone you raised. 18 summers. 18 summers. 18 birthday cakes. 18 Christmas mornings. You ever think about that? I certainly didn't. I had heard my mom and dad, oh, they're getting so big. I'm like, dude, who cares? Of course. You're weird. <laughs> I know you use, you probably, anybody hear your parents like, you're getting big. I remember when you were this. Does anybody ever say this to you? Yeah. I mean, I know you're like trying to be cool and you're kind of smiling. You're like, yeah. Right? And your parents say that and you're just like, stop. You're strange. You're making me feel uncomfortable. And now here I am talking to my daughter about, I remember when you used to cry so hard. And the only thing that would console her is when I'd put her right on my chest and I would lay down. And now, of course, she's like, Dad, that's so awkward. What in the world? <laughs> but I feel myself going, where is time going? And it's normal and it's natural, but it kind of stinks sometimes, right? It's a blink of an eye, and all of a sudden, boom, it happens. And some of you know exactly why these two jars of marbles are up here. For those of you who don't, I'll explain. There are, I think I heard 700 and something was the closest, and then there was one that was like 1,000 something. But there are 936 marbles in this. Any idea why? From the time that you have that child until the time that that child turns 18 years old, you have 936 weeks with them. And you're in the delivery room, and all of a sudden you hear, <laughs> you're just like, is that my baby? That's awesome. And that cry is like the most amazing thing. Two nights later, you're like, why is that baby? crying again. <laughs> we jinxed ourselves, man. I mean, like, Kira, God bless her heart, she's just like two and a half years old before she slept through the night. I mean, it was just, and then Titus comes out. And then there was Jude, and Titus came out, and we actually thought for 48 hours, you guys are going to laugh at this, we thought for 48 hours that Titus was going to be our easygoing child. Because he actually slept through the night. And we were like, what? Just We've never had a child sleep through the night. Like, We read sleep training books. We, like, we did it the way it was supposed to be done according to what the experts said. They are liars. <laughs> and Titus comes out and sleeps through the night. Like I'm waking up and I'm like, did I just, what is going on? <laughs> no. He, and then like night three is like, yeah, I was just kidding with you guys. <laughs> and he ain't slowed down since. But you have this baby, and you're there in the hospital. And you bring that baby home, and you're pumped. You got the room ready. You're like, oh, look, you're taking, when are we scheduling our pictures? When's baby dedication? When, you know, you're looking at all this stuff. You're like, it's going to be forever. And then there's moments where it does feel like forever. But then you pass the first week. And all of a sudden, you go into your second week. 
man, it's going to last forever. I mean, it's going to last forever. And one week at a time, one mom actually talked about how she had three kids and she kept three of these on her fireplace pedestal and mantle. And each week, she would take one out. And on the one hand, I'm like, oh, we should do that. Keep the perspective in our home. But on another hand, I'm like, I don't know if I want to watch that thing just get lower and lower. I'd be like, Kira, come here, Kira, come here. <laughs> Kira's going to strategically knock the thing off and shatter it. But the second jar, this is till they turn 18. The second jar represents how many marbles you have left after your child turned 13. There's 260 marbles that represent you have, if your child has turned 13, which means, yes, I have less than what's in this jar. 260 Weeks left. Oh, you'll always be my baby. My mom still tells me that I'm 41. <laughs> she's like, one moment, she's like, Pastor, I have a question for you. The next moment, she's like, you'll always be my baby. <laughs> she's down in nursery. Love you, Mom. But it's different. And she'll tell you it's different. And from what I hear, I haven't crossed that stage yet. But for those of you that have grown children... Even if they're doing well or not doing well, there's still a part of you I hear occasionally that says, I miss those days. And I'm sure I will too. But there's 260 left in this jar, and that means that I have less in this. Here turns 14 in October. I have less than this in my weeks to pass or to, to influence. Yeah. And people like the foster family. They took out their last marble for Luke. What, last December? And they have 136 marbles left to learn. Eventually, you see these marbles go from over 1,000 as a newborn, like, I mean, like 900-something as a newborn and then there's sleepless nights and scary baby fevers and dirty diapers and explosive diapers. <laughs> and sometimes it feels like it will never end. And then there's just a few weeks left. Just a few weeks left before their 18th birthday. And you're holding three marbles in your hand. And you're going try to make an influence, but at this point, I hope I've done my job. I hope, I hope I've done what God has called me to do. And you take that marble out, and eventually there's two and one, and all of a sudden you're planning the 18th birthday, and you're on your last week. And many of you are already crying and tearing up because some of you are because you're thinking about how much time you have left with your babies. And others of you are realizing that you've already done. And there won't be marbles anymore. 
And it's, it's an emotional thing. See, looking back, like the Fosters probably can't even begin to tell you if I said, guys, stand up and tell me where the 960 marble or 936 marbles went. They probably would be like, ah, uh, well, I mean, ah, uh, like there would probably be some hesitation there because it would be somewhere spent sitting in a rocking chair staring at an infant face. Others were maybe watching Blue's Clues, <laughs> putting transformers together, listening to your child read his or her first book to you, eating lunch with a daughter at school, going all those field trips, shopping for cool shirts, trying on shoes, talking about the opposite sex, talking about God, helping the child, their heart, mend from a broken heart, letting your daughter chauffeur you around when she gets her license or temps, taking selfies together, getting ready for graduation. It's not the big moments that we remember the most. It's the little things the little things in the course of a week, the smaller moments. And as a parent, you quickly find that the best way to spend your marbles is to invest them and to do that by making yourself available. Because at the end of the day, sometimes we feel like we need to save money for the Disney trip or we need to get them the car that they've been wanting. And really... What I'm learning is that if we'll just put down our phone and look them in the eye and listen to their conversation, even when you're like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> that you're genuinely interested. That means more than anything. Because I remember talking to my parents and my dad, my mom was the listener. My dad, not so much. My dad invested a lot in me. But there's a lot that I'm trying to do a little different here. And so, something we don't always excel at as dads in this world is we're working hard every day to conquer the world. Men are conquerors. We want to accomplish things. We want to reach the pinnacle in our desire to conquer the world, um, sometimes we forget to make ourselves available because I'm trying to conquer the world. But I would argue that making yourself available is crucial to everyone who holds influence in a life of a child. That's not just a dad, that's a mom, that's an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, grandpa, nana, papa. I think that's all of us that let a child know, you are so valuable to me. What you're saying right now is so valuable to me. It's making the most of the drive to the practice. It's eating dinner together with no electronic devices. It's helping with the homework, playing in the yard, hosting sleepovers and play dates. I mean, one time we had a play date like four months ago. There were like 19 kids. I was like, is this a birthday party? What is going on? Listening to their stories. We will always be our children's parents. But things change when they move away. And you get those 936 weeks, and you'll still have influence, you'll still have love, but it'll be different after that. 
And God help us to help an infant become a godly and successful adult. And this was the hope, our end in mind, that guided our choices as we invested these marbles. It's one of the most challenging things we'll ever do. I always say this. I do a lot of really neat things. God has called me to be a part of a lot of really cool things already in my, yes, still young life. But nothing is better than being a husband and a father. There's no greater responsibility that God has bestowed upon me. But parenting is hard. Anybody who tells you anything different is a either an absentee parent or they're a liar. It's hard. It's the culmination of your best and worst moments. One day you're speaking wisdom and love, and the next day you're yelling in anger. And some of your marbles will be spent restoring a relationship, while others will be simply playing in a sandbox. And guess what? They need both. Both are needed. So what's on the pedestal of your home? Maybe it should be a jar of marbles so that we can all be reminded as an aunt, as an uncle, as a nana, a papa, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, of the influence that we have as a Sunday school teacher of how many weeks you have before that semester's over, how many weeks if you've just had a student come into your class and you're going to have them for how many years, that's how many weeks you have to influence that child's life before they move on, before they are in ministry someday and they shed a tear at a children's workers' conference and says, I will never forget when we were in an old building on Nashville Road and I had a Sunday school teacher that would always love on me. That even when I had a hard week, that the teacher was just a force in my life. The teacher wrote me a card that I still have to this day. You know, and as you leave today, we're going to go ahead and give you one marble just to take with you, put in your pocket, and think about the fact that, man, this is a week with my child. It's a week with my niece or my nephew. This is a week with my grandchild. As I wrap up this message and we look at the 936 weeks left with a newborn, and it just seems like that's forever. Uh, no, if at some point you're going to look at that empty jar and be like, what in the world? Was there a hole in that jar? What just happened? Or maybe you just have a teenager. Just turned 13, got 260 weeks left. At some point, time goes by. But we got to look at these and got to say, man, as each marble comes out, I didn't make a difference there. I didn't make a difference. Oh, I didn't do it. You might, you might be sitting here, and some of you probably have tears in your eyes. Because your kids are grown, and you feel like 
failed. He said, I just messed up. There might not be any marbles left in the jar for the weeks that you have before they turn 18. But it's not too late. It's not too late to make a phone call, to reach out. Be like, I'm going to be proactive. More than I was as a parent, I'm going to be proactive with my grandkids. See, because we can stand here today and we can find a place to pray. We can feel terrible about all the things because that's what we tend to do. I got a 13-year-old. My Lord, I look at that jar and I've just been a terrible parent. We just come find a place to pray and just like weep because we feel so horrible about who we are. Don't do that. If you got 12 weeks left before that kid turns 18, make those 12 weeks count. And I know sometimes we say, you're right. I got to take on vacation, buy me a fifth wheel, and go see the whole United States of America over the next 12 weeks. And we're going to have an agenda, and we're going to hit each location. That's not what they're looking for. just looks they're just looking for a hey honey tell me about your day how are things been going and just listen because we're not going to be able to do anything either start something new or change the the world for them just like instantaneously like I heard this message I'm coming home that's it I'm a good dad you better say it say it with me I'm a good dad we don't have to do that but we can start to make a difference influence one marble at a time one week at a time it's crazy to think back to years ago when we were living in the parsonage and we had just came here and I already started feeling a little bit of the burden of pastoring. Because believe it or not, I work more than just Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. I started feeling that burden a little bit. And I, and I, and I think we just had Kiera. She was just still just in her little pink polka dot thing with her brown boots. And she walking like this. She would ask me to take her out for donies. And so, man, I shouldn't have started talking about you. And uh, I would load up this little girl in a car seat, a high chair, or on a booster seat, my goodness, I can't even think straight, and we would just go over to the grocery store over here, Price Chopper was brand new, and we'd just sit there and get a donut, and at some point in my life, if I ate donuts for breakfast, I'd be sick now, so I was younger then, and I could eat donuts for breakfast and feel fine, I can't even do that anymore, and then all of a sudden, I, she had a little brother, and so I said, we have to start rotating, and then we had a third 
child. And so now they're every three weeks, and I just, they get to choose if we go hit a bucket of balls or if we go grab breakfast or if we go on a walk or go ride bikes, whatever. They just choose in one time a week, I will just go with just Kieran, and I'll go with just Jude, and I'll just go with Titus. And they'll say, is it my turn? Is it my turn? And it's like a big thing to them. I think it's still a big thing. And at that time, I, I do my best not to answer my phone, not to look at my phone. I just listen and talk. And I look back, and I'm like, whoa. That probably started, what, nine years ago at least, maybe? And here I am, I'm like, man, I don't do everything right. I will be the first to tell you that, and she'll probably say amen. But I have nine years of nine times, what, how many, 52 weeks of investments, just going out with my kids, and just, and like, to me, out of everything I do, that's probably one of the things I am most proud of, is the fact that I've stayed faithful to that time with my children, and if something changes, Thursday is my day off, if that doesn't work, I'll take them on Monday, and I look back, and I'm like, that is yeah, but didn't you get voted into serving this? Didn't you take care of this? Like, yeah, that was cool, but I took my daughter out for years and we just go have breakfast together. Like, that is one of the things I'm most proud about. And that's where we have conversations. That's where I'm the protector and I'm not just going to be able to stand outside her door and protect her from all the bad guys. And if you're a bad guy, you better stay away from my daughter. <laughs> can't protect her. I can't travel with her to every event and every quiz and every nationals and every and every camp. Man, I, I can't. I can't. But when we have breakfast, I listen and I drop little nuggets of the wisdom that my dad dropped with me. And I listen and I say, yeah, well, I'd handle it this way, you know. And sometimes I try not to, even though I want to jump in. <laughs> I just listen. And I'm doing that with my boys, too, because I understand that my influence as a daddy to a daughter is probably a little different than my influence as a daddy to a son. So I'm doing different things, and I know that as a daughter, my daughter is very much getting her self-esteem from me. And that's why sometimes when I spend time with young ladies that don't have a strong father in their life, I see the insecurities come through and it just breaks my heart. And I will try to walk up and say, listen, honey, you are beautiful and you are strong and God has called you. And I try to be even a father figure to that person because sometimes dads are dropping the ball and I hate to watch that. And I know I've gotten away from my notes. I'm just blabbering and talking from my heart right now. But to me, when you say, well, talk about something you're passionate about. Preach Acts 2.38, the outpouring of the Spirit. I am passionate about that, and I think that you see that and know that. But there's not many topics in the world that I'm more passionate about than being a dad. And I know that I should be better. I should be a better one if I'm that passionate about it. But that's the beauty of what we're called to do. Because there's some days, I say this all the time, you're going to bed, and you're like, man, I did this all right today. 
And the next day you go to bed and you're like, Lord, why did you even give me these kids? I am terrible. That's where we walk in and we have a conversation, look them in the eye, hug them and say, I messed up today. Will you forgive me? I'm so sorry. You were trying to talk to me before and I was busy wrapping up my, my job, a call, something. And I want you to know that I'm sorry if you felt like what you were saying was not important to me because it is. Will you please tell me about it? I, I try to do these things because I don't want them to ever go. I try to talk to you and you're always too busy. And later in life, they get into a jam and I'm going, why don't you ever talk to your dad? I'm still here. Because I'm hoping, I'm praying that when she has an issue, that she will remember at some point going to get a donie. And she will think about the years of investment and listening. And she'll say, even if my dad's busy, I know that if I call him, that he will stop what he's doing. He will listen to me. Dads, we've got to be present. Society is bombarding our children with sexuality, with perversion, with brokenness and hopelessness. Dads have to be men that go, There's, you're never hopeless. You are beautiful. You are strong. You can do this. You can be anything you want to be. And if anybody tells you different, you come talk to your dad. And if I need to, I'll go talk to them. And so today, as I wrap up this message, just kind of blubbering and making people feel uncomfortable, I'm just challenging some dads to step up. How many weeks? You know how many? Think about it. One week for one marble. How many marbles are left in your jar? Don't cry and get frustrated about all the ones that, that are gone and, and missed out. I wasn't always perfect to cure, but I got, you know, I got about this much. I can, I can still step up. I, I wasted a marble, see? But I can still step up. And so, I invite you to stand to your feet. And this is where, this is where one of the few times it stinks having the children downstairs. I hate it. Normally, I love Rock Church. It's awesome. This is one of those weeks where I'm like, I want to get my boys. I want to pray as a family, and I hate that they're downstairs. So maybe if you want to, go check them out at Children's Ministry. Bring them up. Say it's Father's Day. I want to pray with you. And if you're here, and it's the last thing I'll say, and you're here, you have not had a strong father figure and he's not engaged in your life, and you haven't had the dad to build your self-esteem and speak life and say you're beautiful and say you're strong and say you can do anything and say I'm proud of you. Do not let the enemy tell you that you ain't going to amount to nothing. You're just going to be a loser. You're going to be broken because you don't have a dad. You don't have somebody strong to tell you those things. That is baloney. It's a lie. And that's one of the reasons why I believe that God says I am Abba, Father, cry out, I'm your heavenly Father. And I will be the one that will look you in the eye. And I will tell you, as your pastor, I believe in you. You are incredible. You are strong. You're beautiful. You can do anything. So right now, it's just, it's just the sweet presence of God. 
And I believe that he's trying to challenge some dads to step up, to be that protector, to be that investor. Don't conquer the world and lose the house. And so if your kids are here, I don't care. Check them out at Children's Meetings. Come up. Pray about yourself, your own commitments to being a dad. But just don't leave without praying today. I invite you right now to find a place to pray about your responsibility and calling in ministry as a father. Maybe it's a responsibility ministry calling as an aunt, an uncle, a grandpa, grandma, nana, papa, an influencer. In Jesus' name.